Blog Talk Radio. Hi guys, welcome back to the Big Ten Powerhouse Podcast. We this is podcast number eighteen. Um, I'm Thomas Bendit, uh, the manager and editor over at BT Powerhouse. Um, been your host uh, through all the podcasts so far, but I'm back again. Uh, we have a we have an interesting uh, concept for today's uh, podcast. We've kind of, over the last couple of weeks, have been going through a segment of teams around the tent, so to speak. Um, two weeks ago, we did we did the bubble teams, talked about teams like Iowa, um, Michigan State, Ohio State, uh, Indiana, Illinois, um, and kind of spoke about whether they could get in the tournament, where they stood, um, and going forward. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, but uh, uh, last week we talked about uh, – spent a lot of time on Wisconsin. Um, and the reason why is uh, obviously Wisconsin's kind of the Big Ten favorite right now, um, largely considered the Big Ten's biggest threat for a national title this year. Um, so we felt like they deserved, they deserved you know, their own podcast. Um, and especially, you know, for people who watched that Indiana-Wisconsin game this week, um, the Badgers are a very good team, um, and they are going to be tough to beat. Um, especially if they do get back to full strength this year uh, with uh, Trayvon Jackson, who's been out the last few weeks. But today, um, those podcasts aside, um, we're going to be talking about what people consider sort of the bottom tier of the Big Ten this year. Um, Obviously, nothing is written in stone yet. We still have a while to go. Technically, every team is still eligible for the NCAA tournament, considering that the Big Ten tournament exists. But having said that, um, clearly some teams are struggling a bit more than others. Um, somebody has to win, somebody has to lose, so to speak. <laughs> um, and so today we're going to be focusing on four of the teams that are have largely, um, especially in the powerhouse power rankings, which come out uh, on Mondays each week, um, have largely occupied those bottom four spots. Once in a while, one will jump up, but largely um, these teams have kind of underwhelmed in Big Ten play. Um, so we are going to talk a little bit about them, how their season's going, and uh, we do have a few um, exciting guests on. We will have a few people on from, uh, I believe we have Zach on from uh, Inside NU, which is uh, SB Nation's Northwestern site. Uh, I believe he'll be on in 15 minutes or so. Um, and then we will have um, a writer from uh, uh, Chris. Yeah, Chris from uh, the Daily Gopher, which is SC Nation's Minnesota site. Um, and that leads me into two two of the teams we are going to be touching on today are Minnesota and Northwestern. Um, and then the two others that we're going to talk about are Penn State and Rutgers. Um, we were trying to get uh, Dave White on from On the Banks, um, SB Nation's Rutgers site. Uh, he couldn't make it, unfortunately, but we're hoping to have him on um, maybe next week or <clears throat> beyond that. But before before we have Zach on from Inside NU, I did want to talk a little bit about Penn State. Um, the Nittany Lions have had kind of an interesting season so far this year. Um, most generally, they were perceived as one of uh, the lower teams in the Big Ten coming into the year. Um, I I don't remember exactly where I had them projected. I want to say maybe 12th or 13th, um, somewhere around there. So I uh, that is so. The, needless to say, um, perceptions weren't great before the season. Um, Penn State kind of coming off of a a rough year last year. They made the CBI didn't do a whole lot in there. Um, they did get some big wins over uh, teams like Ohio State, but really really weren't perceived as being a great team this year. Um, people thought maybe if they could get a couple guys around DJ Newbill, they could make some noise. Um, however, early on, uh, Penn State, um, you know, they weren't, they weren't competing for, you know, a top 10 ranking or anything, but uh, they did get off to a really – Really nice start. Actually, ended up going twelve and one to start the season, which is uh, very solid and very unexpected, um, considering Penn State. Um, pr- 
Penn State's previous performance last year. Um, however, there there was kind of mixed thoughts on their start. Um, you couldn't really hold it against them much because, you know, at the end of the day, if you're winning, you're still winning. But that, that 12-1 and record, as a lot of people pointed out, um, including myself, it was kind of built against teams that uh, weren't necessarily the greatest, so to speak. Um, and and here and here's what I what I mean by that. If if you look through in their first 13 games of the season, Penn State um, played exactly one. Um, that was George Washington, who they did beat um, by 13 points, um, which was a could. Could be one of Penn State's biggest wins this year, um, likely is. But they uh, that that was really the only solid, solid team they did play um, in the non-conference slate. Um, they lost to a Charlotte team that wasn't necessarily that great, although they lost in double overtime. Um, they beat an okay Akron team, but when, when you look through, there weren't a lot of big-time wins, um, and a lot. Some people were using the term fraud. Um, but Penn State was 12 and one. They were actually receiving top 25 votes at the end of the non-conference slate, which is kind of incredible. Again, considering that Penn State was one of the bottom teams in the Big Ten last year. However, after that, they entered Big Ten play. Um, I think I think most people know the story. After that, kind of a rough go. Um, they lost their first six. Big Ten games, um, including games against Rutgers, against Purdue, against a Michigan team that wasn't playing the greatest uh, at home. Um, after after that, they did kind of respond. Um, they reeled off two wins in a row against Rutgers and Minnesota at home. But leading into today's podcast, they lost their last two games, and that was against Illinois and Maryland. I, I don't think there's any doubt that at this point in the year, the majority of Penn State fans are probably disappointed considering the hot start to the season, um, maybe how some of the freshmen have played, including Shep Gardner. Um, people weren't exactly talking about him much before the year um, from a Big Ten and national scale, but he, he's played pretty well this year um, overall. So I, I think if if you had said before the year that Shep Gardner would play pretty well, DJ Newbill would be playing at an all-Big Ten level, I think most Penn State fans would have figured they would have a better record than 2-8 and eight, um, coming in uh, to this weekend when they face Nebraska. But I, I think the thing is, is when, it, when you do look, I, I think it's kind of been a combination where, um, depending, depending on who you were um, during the non-conference slate, you either bought in or you didn't buy in, uh, so to speak. I, re- I remember one of our writers on our site, uh, Brian, had written a couple articles basically talking about whether they're a fraud, whether fans should buy into it. Um, I, th- I think to an extent, I think Penn State, I don't think they're as bad as their 2-8 and eight start in the Big Ten, but I don't think they're as good as 12-1 and one either, um, at least generally speaking. So I, I think – the thing is, one one interesting note about Penn State, um, they have struggled again, obviously with that two and eight record, and both of their conference wins are against other teams we are going to be talking about today. Um, but they have played a lot of teams very close, um, and for those who were able to watch the Maryland Penn State game last night, um, or Wednesday night, I should say, uh, for those not listening today. Um, they played them very well and tight on the road. Now, Maryland hasn't been playing the best lately, but if you go on the road to face a team like Maryland and you keep it close throughout the entire game, um, it took some late uh, free throws by Des Wells to put it away. Um, typically, that's not going to be a bad team. So, I, and, and even when you look past that, I mean, they had a two-point loss to Illinois. They had the six-point loss on the road against Michigan State, overtime loss to Purdue, three-point loss to Indiana on the road, um, the Michigan loss, the Rutgers loss, and the uh, – well, really the Michigan and the Wisconsin losses are the only bad losses in terms of margin of victory that Penn State has had this year. 
So I, I think when you when you step back and look at it that way, it they do look better than their two and eight record in the Big Ten. But I I again to to stress that point earlier, I do think it's kind of in the middle there, um where the, where they've actually been playing. And I think I think that leads into kind of a, a discussion about uh where they're heading from here. They do have a a pretty difficult schedule ahead. Um, Ken Palm has them finishing with uh, only uh, projected to win two remaining games, overall projected to to win three. Basically, they're favored in two games, but overall they're supposed to win three remaining games and finish at five and 13 in the conference, which would obviously frustrate a lot of Penn State fans. But uh, I, I do think there is some hope. I mean, you have some games against Northwestern, Minnesota there, uh, Nebraska at home, but uh, yeah, facing Wisconsin again is not going to be not going to be easy. Um, Ohio State on the road, Maryland at home, uh, and Ohio State at home as well. Those are going to be difficult games. I, I think the big thing is, I think Penn State they just really need to get more out of their role players, so to speak. Which I know is a very easy thing to say, but I mean. Even even in that Maryland game uh, from Wednesday night, Shep Gardner only had six points. You have a lot of guys who are playing major minutes who just aren't aren't contributing a lot um, in terms of scoring. Dickerson and Taylor have not been the greatest this year, although Taylor's come on a little bit lately. Um, so that that'll be an interesting thing to watch. I think overall, Penn State is uh, they're better than their Big Ten record suggests, but probably not as good as their early season performance would indicate. But um, having talked about uh, Penn State there a little bit, we do have Zach on from uh, Inside NU. Uh, Zach, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. How are you doing today, Zach? <laughs> I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. Why don't Why don't you take a second to uh, introduce yourself to our to our listeners? Okay, so yeah, uh, I'm Zach Peerless. I'm a freshman at Northwestern. Um, I'm from Virginia. Been a big Wildcat fan. They're struggling a little bit, but I uh, still have belief in the system. Uh, we're pretty young right now, so that's the hope. Yeah, uh, why don't why don't we jump right into it? There, um, you mentioned they're struggling a little bit. Um, why, why don't you for uh, for some of our listeners who haven't followed Northwestern as closely? Um, why don't you do a, give us a little brief recap of how the season has played out for Northwestern so far? Sure. So right now they're, you look at their Big Ten schedule and uh, you see that they're 1-8. and eight. They won their first game at Rutgers, and ever since then they've just been killed by these really close losses. Um, you had Michigan State in overtime they lost lost by five to Illinois, by two to Michigan, by two to Ohio State, by one to Maryland. And then uh, their play has kind of fallen off a little in the past couple games. They lost by eight to Purdue and 16 to Nebraska a couple nights ago. They're struggling right now. Um, They are a really young team. They start uh, two freshmen, Bryant McIntosh, at the point guard position, and they also start – Scotty Lindsay right now. Vic Law plays big minutes off the bench. He's also a freshman. So they're young. Uh, they might be struggling right now just with the grind of Big Ten play. Yeah, definitely. Um, and and I know that's been one of the big story points for a lot of teams. I know I was just talking about that with Penn State, but these close losses. Um, first, first, do you think um, moral victories kind of matter in the sense that they're playing people tough, but not necessarily coming out on top. And second, do you what what do you think can get Northwestern over that little hump there and start winning some of these close games? Sure. So I I definitely believe in the moral victory, um, especially with a team as young as Northwestern is. Um, it's tough right now for these guys to see moral victories when they lose. But they're doing a lot of things right. Uh, You can look at the Ohio State game. They jumped out to a big lead. Um, They were probably playing their best basketball of the year. And, unfortunately, D'Angelo Russell just took over. But 
I, you know, I would have counted that one as a moral win. They also got two pretty bad goaltending calls, uh, or I guess goaltending non-calls. But I definitely believe in the moral victory. These guys are so young. Uh, hopefully Collins is just reiterating that it's going to be part of the process. And then as far as things that I would say can get them over the hump in these close games, um, a couple, you know, obviously the ball bouncing your way, the non-goaltending calls definitely would have helped against Ohio State. Um, recently, they just they just have had these stretches where they uh, either lose control of the game or kind of fall out of the game. They'll go four or five minutes without a bucket, and uh, that'll either allow a team to creep back into the game or it will kind of force Northwestern to have to come back in the last couple of minutes. So basically they, uh, if they can avoid those stretches, those kind of lulls in the offense, that would really help them down the stretch. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's, uh, that's an interesting take on, uh, on Northwestern, you know, kind of, kind of improving that little bit there. Um, in mm-hmm. terms of, uh, in terms of looking ahead, um, obviously they, they've kind of dug themselves a hole, so to speak, um, in terms of hoping for anything in the postseason. But, um, what, what do you think would make this a successful season, um, in terms of finishing these last, uh, what is it, uh, eight, seven, eight games? Yeah, so there are definitely a couple things Northwestern uh, can do down the stretch to kind of consider this more of a successful season. First off, they're going to be getting uh, Nathan Tapborn back. He's a guy that can play uh, either of the forward positions. He's a, he's they're actually their best three-point shooter percentage-wise, and he's missed uh, the past several games with a foot injury, he won't be back for Wisconsin. But once he gets back and into the swing of things, um, I think that'll help a lot. And I think that if they can pull out probably, you know, we talk about this lower part of the Big Ten, Minnesota, Penn State. um, I think that if they can beat both of those teams, back, those are back-to-back games, that'd be a big lift. And then maybe down the stretch, getting another win, um, maybe beating Illinois or maybe getting revenge against Michigan. I think three more wins, three or four maybe more wins in the Big Ten would be a big boost for these guys just headed into the off season. Yeah, and um, kind of spinning off of that a little bit, I know um, at least from the outsider's perspective, there seems to be a little bit of a split right now over how people feel about Collins and how – things are progressing or not progressing um in Evanston right now what what do you think Northwestern fans have to be optimistic about right now um yeah so although the record doesn't look good right now I think there's a lot to be optimistic about um and it starts really with the point guard position uh just like any team it's it's going to take a good solid point guard to uh, compete, especially in the Big Ten. And Bryant McIntosh, I really believe, is that guy. Uh, He's got a great future ahead of him. The other thing is they're really not going to be losing a whole lot next year. Jershon Cobb, who's probably one of their better individual scorers, will be gone. But they're going to be getting a lot of guys back. Um, Obviously, those freshmen will then be sophomores. They'll have an extra year in the weight room. And... um, like you said, there have been kind of differing opinions on Collins, but I think that he's really he's a great coach for a young team. He has a ton of energy. He uh, really cares for his guys. He really you can just tell in press conferences that he really wants his guys to win. Um, and I think just his energy and his dedication is really helping these young guys out through this pretty tough season. Yeah, and um not to not to be uh not to be too negative here, but um I had I had joked on Twitter earlier this week about how that uh Northwestern can take coaches and just chew them up and spit them out. Um, <laughs> do you first, okay. do you think there's do you think there's um I don't I don't want to say curse, but do you think there are some big time challenges to Northwestern that make it unique um compared to 
um, we'll say like a Penn State who, um, you know, doesn't have necessarily the biggest program history. But um, do, do you think there are things that make Northwestern perhaps tougher um, to be successful at? Yeah, um, I guess that there are some things. Obviously, Northwestern doesn't have a great history. They haven't reached the um, they haven't reached the NCAA tournament ever. They're one of I think only two teams uh, to do that, or two power team power five teams to do that. Um, and tough um, Northwestern. We've talked about um, Northwestern has trouble recruiting. In Chicago, you think about all the great talents that have come out of Chicago. Jaleel Okafor at Duke right now is an example. Jaleel didn't even have uh, Northwestern in his top 10 or 12 choices when he came out with that during the recruiting process. Derrick Rose didn't really consider Northwestern. But Collins has got in there. He got Vic Law, who was a really highly uh, regarded guy coming out of high school. So I think um, it's going to be a process, but if they can start to uh, recruit more guys out of Chicago, because uh, Chicago obviously has a ton of talent coming out of there. So that would be one of the things. They're kind of having trouble recruiting close to home. Um, I guess that would be one of the bigger things. But Collins is looking to turn that around. And and just to, just to probe on that a little bit, um, you talked about maybe struggling in Chicago. Um, and this, this may get into the whole chicken and egg thing here, but uh, do you think do you think if Northwestern, you know, say, has a bit more success, um, do you think that they'll be able to recruit there, or do you think it's one of those things that, you know, the top prospects they're going to be looking to your Dukes or your Northwesterns, regardless of how Northwestern is doing? Oh, I would definitely say that recruits take. Um, at least program success into account, um, probably even over playing at home sometimes. And that's sort of been the problem with Northwestern. I think that if Northwestern can really progress, this is Collins' second year. I think his third year we should see some progress from Northwestern. And I think that um, once the local guys from Chicago start to notice that, um, I think – that will really help them in the area. When Northwestern was actually on ESPN to play um, Ohio State, I think that obviously a lot of recruits got to watch that game. It's on all across the nation. So just getting out there and uh, kind of making their presence known more, and obviously that will come with success, but Chris Collins being – uh, during that Ohio State game, he just you could tell on the sidelines he really cared about his guys. Um, I think that obviously more success will lead to better recruits. Yeah, and um, to kind of to kind of spin it the other way here, um, you know, if if Northwestern is able to, uh, um, I know we're kind of getting off track from this season, but uh, you know, if they are to say land a big recruit for next year or maybe the year after. Uh, how, how quickly do you think uh, Collins can get this thing going? So Northwestern has a pretty good class coming in uh, next mm-hmm. year. He's put together, I think he has three guys right now um, coming in next year, one top 100 guy in Aaron Falzon. He's from uh, Massachusetts, I believe. I think that he can get it turned around um he won. He did make a uh, comparison to UVA, who's my home t- uh, home state team. And uh, when you look at UVA, UVA had struggled for a while, and then they got Tony Bennett, and then they struggled for two more years with Coach Bennett, and then that third year they kind of took a step forward. So I think next year is really going to be uh, a good measuring point to see how Chris Collins is putting this program together, really rebuilding this program. All right. Well, that, that makes sense. Um, all right. Well, um, I, I guess uh, to get back to this season before, before you take off here, um, if you had to pick out the most important, important game um, for the remainder of the year, um, assuming you don't have the schedule memorized, but uh, um what what game would you pick for Northwestern? The one that they really really need to win or really need to play well in? 
Um, I would say I would I would go with Penn State. That game's uh, going to be on the national market as well on ESPNU. That's a home game. That's probably the game that might be the only game that they're going to be favored in down the stretch. Um, they're at home, and that's that's to me that kind of looks like the game that they can really look towards and say this is where we're going to get our next win. Um, they have a little bit of a tough stretch coming up with Wisconsin, Michigan State, Iowa. Uh, I would say Penn State is the one that they should really circle. Um, if you want another one, maybe Michigan, just because that loss was so close earlier. And um, I think Michigan is a winnable game. But I would definitely say Penn State is the one where the guy should go out there not hoping to win, but expecting to win. All right, that that makes sense. Um, yeah. Any any final thoughts on Northwestern or the Big Ten before you uh, before you take off here? Sure. Um, yeah, Northwestern. Just again, they're so young. Um, it's I, I honestly can't stress that enough. You look at all these close games, and at least I almost think to myself, maybe if maybe it's a little bit of luck, maybe it's you know a jumper here or there, a ball bouncing our uh, Northwestern's way here or there. Um, but it's definitely a learning experience. I think these guys hopefully have three more years after this year in Evanston, and uh, they'll be able to take this tough year with them, and uh, they'll be better from it. All right. Yeah, makes sense. Um, but uh, all right, well, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us, and uh, if you if you want to check out any of uh, Zach's stuff, um, head over to Inside NU. All right, thank you. Thanks. Yeah, well, that was um, that was Zach from Inside NU. Um, as I mentioned, they do a lot of great stuff on Northwestern. Um, I know they obviously they cover football and, and and any of the other sports as well. So if you're interested in uh, Northwestern, uh, definitely check them out. But uh, mo- moving on here to our, our third team of the day. Um, again, we do have the, the Daily Gopher. Um, Chris from Daily, uh, Daily Gopher will be on uh, in a little bit. But before he gets here, um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about Rutgers, which is another one of those uh, teams who have struggled a bit in conference play. And uh, really, I, I know thoughts are mixed on their season, but um, really it were optimistic. I know their fans were um, earlier this year and felt like they could turn it, might be turning the corner, but uh, things things have gone downhill a little bit. But uh, just, to, just to jump into the, the season so far, um, for Rutgers, non-conference was really mixed um, and frankly involved a lot of struggles. Um, it, it was kind of up and down, so to speak. I mean, if you even look at the results, it would be loss, win, loss, win, um, you know, two wins, loss. And and the thing is, is they had some really rough ones, too. Um, lost to St. Peter's at home, uh, lost to St. Francis at home from uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, their, their loss to Virginia was – I know Virginia is a stacked team, but to score 26 points in one game is kind of uh, – um, eyebrow raising, and I know that was a loss that really got a lot of people to sell off on Rutgers uh, early on. Did have some uh, all right wins. I know they reeled off. They beat um, a lot of teams they were supposed to beat at home. Um, they did get a nice win over Vanderbilt on a neutral court and uh, beat Clemson on the road in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Um, or sorry, no, that was a uh, yeah, yeah, that was in the Big Ten. Sorry, they played Virginia before, so uh, I was getting mixed up there. But Virginia played Maryland. But, yeah, they beat Clemson. That was big for the Big Ten in the uh, Big Ten ACC Challenge. Um, recorded some wins there. Entering uh, Big Ten play, they were 8-5 and five overall. Uh, lost to Northwestern at home. I know that that was a pretty ugly game, and I remember a lot of people were really down on Rutgers after that game. Um, but they did respond with a win over Penn State. Um, and... And to kind of stress the, I, I talked about this with Penn State, but people were really down on Rutgers before the year. Um, you know, if not everyone recalls, uh, there was serious talk about going 0 and 18 in conference play. Um, you know, the Big Ten was perceived as uh, better before the season began, but but still, I mean, um, 
when people seriously discuss a team going 0 and 18 in conference play, that's a big statement about how they perceive that team. <clears throat> and to win their second Big Ten game ever was definitely big for a program that has struggled and a team that didn't have high expectations this year. But, uh, you know, following that Penn State one, they did lose to Nebraska on the road. But then they pulled off by far their biggest win of the year. And you can make an argument one of their biggest wins in school history. Um, They had never beaten a top five team before. They beat Wisconsin at home and upset them. Um, Everybody knows Wisconsin was shorthanded for that game. Um, Probably the biggest reason why they lost, to be honest. But still, a huge win for Rutgers, huge win for the program. And I know, you know, at that point, they're 10-7, and 2-2 and in the Big Ten. And I know people were talking about, you know, not seriously as a Big Ten title contender, but, you know, maybe they can make some noise. Maybe they can slide into, you know, eighth or so around the Big Ten, you know, beat some of these teams at home, uh, make some noise in the Big Ten tournament. You know, you never know. But, uh, unfortunately, things things didn't go very well after that they lost their they they have lost seven conference games in a row following that Wisconsin win granted things got a lot tougher with you know Maryland on the road Minnesota on the road Michigan at home Penn State on the road Michigan State at home Indiana on the road Illinois on the road um really really when you look at it that way um they did they haven't really underwhelmed so to speak but um the one the two games that really to me stand out in that stretch though um first Penn State not the fact that they lost to Penn State um because I I do think Penn State is a better team than Rutgers overall this year um and the fact that it was on the road but the fact that they got blown they they lost big in that game um and that that's that's just not good enough for for Rutgers. I, I know they don't have the high expectations, but they should have played better in that game, regardless of any, you know, scenarios. They still they still had the biggest players. Um they still had Mac. They still had uh Jack in those games. Both played thirty minutes. You you really need to they needed to play better in that game. So that's a that's a big one. Got away from them. Um and that was one of their best shots at another conference win. Uh the other one is the home loss to Michigan. I know that that doesn't look as bad on paper, but Michigan was that was the first game after they lost Levert. They were decimated by injuries. I mean, uh, well, I don't think Walton played. I I know Levert was obviously out. Um, just a lot of guys uh, sick um, or limited, uh, and it was really a uh, you know they had walk-ons play. Uh, 17 minutes in that game. It, it's one of those those times when uh, you really you really should win that game at home. I mean, the fact that Michigan went in uh, went in there and beat Rutgers um, on the road is first off pretty solid for Mi- a Michigan team that was really really limping after those injuries, but really a a big blow to Rutgers because they they were that should have been a win. That absolutely should have been a win. Um, and you follow that up with their last three games, not really surprised that um, they lost most of those games pretty handedly, um, especially against Michigan State. Uh, the Spartans were playing great. Overall, you know, after that after that stretch, they're now 10-14 and 14 overall, 2-9 and nine in the Big Ten. And I know uh, it's really causing uh, this season that really, especially the Big Ten play, really started – uh, you know, bright and well and look optimistic. And uh, now, obviously, things don't look as bright. I And I think I remember asking the question, you know, after they beat Wisconsin, um, I had actually asked uh, Dave White, who I mentioned, who I um, had hoped could join us today, but uh, he couldn't. I had asked him, you know, what what would make this season viewed as a success for Rutgers fans? Obviously, last year was very rough. Um, and, you know, coming off of – at two and two in the Big Ten with a win over Wisconsin, that's that's huge. I mean, nobody is, else has even beaten Wisconsin in the Big Ten this year, um, so that's obviously a huge win. And he said, you know, hopefully we can get to you know five conference wins or so, um, maybe get a Big Ten tournament win. And the, and the fact that they were set up to get two win, two more wins 
that Penn State game and that Michigan game. Um, and, you know, I shouldn't say set up to win that Penn State game, but they had a, had a fighting shot. And definitely that Michigan game they were set up to win. Come away with none. Um, it's definitely a blow. And and when you look ahead, they it's going to be a tough finish, a very tough finish. Ohio State at home, Purdue at home, Iowa on the road, Indiana at home, Purdue on the road, Maryland at home, and Michigan on the road. Not only, you know, Ken, Ken Palm has them favored in no remaining games, um, and their best their best shot at victory, according to Ken Palm, is Purdue at home, where they have a 33% chance to win. Um, and even in general odds, they're predicted to win one more conference game. And I know that would be a big letdown for Rutgers fans who, who would really hope, you know, they were turning the corner after those Penn State and Wisconsin games and thought that, you know, maybe they could make something out of this season. Um, but, you know, in terms of that, um, there, there, have been, there have been some positives. Um, we talked about that with Northwestern, you know, some reasons to be optimistic about this team. Um, you know, first off, Rutgers, uh, they, they have experience. You know, they aren't necessarily the youngest team, but they have key guys who are young, so to speak. Um, and, and one of the bright spots, at least for me, uh, has been Mike Williams. I know, I know he's been out for the last couple games, but uh, he's, he's seen serious time on the court. He has had games where he's played very well. Um, that Maryland game, he played well. He had 12 points. Um, he's, he's had some games this year, um, the Sacred Heart game, too, 22 points. Um, and I, I think you have these bright spots. I mean, I know you're going, going to lose Kadeem Jack and Miles Mack after this year, which will be a huge blow to a team that uh, hasn't necessarily played the best, or huge blows, I should say. But, um, you know, you, you do have some returners who are going to come back. Um, maybe Foreman can step, you know, maybe some of these other guys, uh, Etau can step up. But, uh you know, it's it, it could be a rough finish to the year, um, and I, I think the the biggest thing um, we talked about this with Northwestern. Um, depending on your view, I do think they really need to steal a game or maybe steal two games um, over the rest of the season. But aside from that, I think um, the biggest thing is play well, get those guys time. Um, maybe you can win a Big Ten tournament game. Um, you know, if you get matched up with, you know, Penn State or Minnesota, Northwestern, maybe you can steal a Big Ten tournament game and really really make it a uh, a nice finish to the year. Uh, you know, I, I, I in, we've talked a little bit about, you know, um, we talked about Chris Collins and sort of the direction of the program, so to speak. I, I know one of the people who kind of gets – kind of gets ripped a lot is uh is Eddie Jordan but I think I think he got handed a very rough go um in his first year um for Rutgers and I I think next year is going to be the year when you really really are going to kind of get a sense on whether things are really turning around um in Piscataway and uh I I think Rutgers is going to to improve um the obvious question is how much but um you know they they do have pieces um coming in they do have a a couple of nice recruits that i think uh could make an impact earlier on i know they have a really nice point guard um but in in terms of you know this year and looking ahead i i think the big thing is going to be trying to be competitive trying to play well um you know and if they can do that I think they can really start to move the program in the right direction, especially if they can get keep getting those young guys time and uh, keep basically allowing them to develop. Um, you know, I know, uh, like like I was mentioning with uh, you know Mike Mike Williams and uh, Junior Atal, I, I think those guys could really could really make some noise um, in the future, but. Uh, yeah, yeah, and speaking of the, the the name I couldn't think of, Corey Sanders, point guard, really, really nice recruit. Um, I think he could step right into that Miles Mack role next year. And if, if he can come in and, uh, you know, not contribute as much, obviously, but if he can come in, contribute, can impact, and then uh, 
you know, you can have someone like that, have your Mike Williams, have your junior title step up on the, on the wing. Um, I think you can really step in and have a, a really, a solid team, a team capable of, you know, making the NIT, um, maybe upsetting some people at home. I know, uh, Rutgers has a pretty solid uh, home court advantage in the majority of nights. Um, so I think that could be a boost over, uh, you know, say a Penn State or maybe a Northwestern um, at sort of the the bottom-ish of the conference right now. But, uh, yeah, I, I think overall that's uh, that's kind of how I see how I see Rutgers going right now. Um, not, a, not a ton of reasons to feel, to feel great about this heat, about going ahead, I should say. But um, there has been some solid progress this year. I think if they can they can grab another win, maybe really if they can grab two more wins, I think this would be a pretty good year um, in terms of progressing. Um, bring in Corey Sanders, try to load up, um, try to get some of those young guys to get time, step in next year. And I think I think they can make some noise. I You know, I'm not going to – say they're, you know, a favorite for the Big Ten next year or favorite to, you know, even make the NCAA tournament. But I don't think they're as far away as a lot of people think, um, I should say. But, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of how I see Rutgers going right now. But, um, yeah, but mo- moving ahead here to uh, to kind of to Minnesota, um, again, the, the Daily Gopher guys should be on in a uh, – couple seconds here maybe a minute or two so uh i'll i'll hold off there but um for listening on uh thursday we do have a really intriguing game tonight um in the big 10 it was a honorable mention this week on bt powerhouse for uh big 10 game of the week and that is iowa at michigan um i was going to talk about this after uh minnesota but uh um worked out a little bit so we'll talk about it now but um I I am very intrigued. Um I was considered by most to be a uh, a bubble team right now. They're on the good side um in the NCAA tournament by pretty much everyone's projections, but uh definitely teetering um <laughs> a couple losses and they could be on the the bad side of things. Um and for Michigan, uh despite getting hammered by injuries and illness, um playing pretty well overall. Um, I actually got a chance to go to the, the game in East Lansing last weekend with uh, State, Michigan State and uh, in Michigan, and um, really competitive game, went to overtime. Um, there, there was a period in the first half when I thought, you know, Michigan might actually pull out a, a decent lead here and run away with it. Um, you know, not not run away with it, you know, in blowing State out, but really, really get a, a stranglehold on the game. Um, going into the second half, uh, but uh, uh, Muhammad uh, Ali uh, had got his second foul. Um, John Beeline has a rule that if you get that second foul, he puts you on the bench. Um, he went to the bench. Things really slowed down for Michigan. Um, Michigan State picked it up, ended up uh, winning the game in overtime, um, really dominating overtime performance by them, but really competitive game overall. Michigan played well, uh, considering they're without Walton, without Levert. Um, and according to to Beeline after the game, uh, they are going to be without Walton for a while. So maybe this is kind of the the Michigan team we'll be seeing going forward. But um, outside of that, uh, it's a really big game for Michigan because uh, they aren't necessarily on the bubble, but they're they're one of those teams. If they do win tonight, they're probably going to be listed in that you know next four out or first four out that that kind of range so it's a big game and especially because you know Michigan has a uh it's a pretty tough close to the schedule um they get Iowa at home Indiana and Illinois back-to-back row games Michigan State Ohio State back-to-back home games Maryland and Northwestern on the road and then they end with Rutgers at home so really until they get to those last two games almost every game is going to be tough to win or a toss up. Um so really when you when you look ahead, uh this could be their best shot to win um for the next week or two, you know, even even with a couple of games at home there. So I think that'll it's gonna be a, a big game tonight. Um the front court play will definitely be important um to kind of see 
how Michigan tries to match up with Woodbury and White. Um, that should be a, a really interesting battle there. But uh, it looks like it looks like we have, uh, I believe, Chris on from uh, the Daily Gopher to talk to Minnesota. Uh, Chris, can you hear me? Uh, this is the other blogger at the Daily Gopher, oh. U Street. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing well, thank you. Thanks. I assume um, Chris what a, what a, will be here in a couple of seconds. Yeah, yeah, he must have uh, not jumped on here quite yet. But um, why don't why don't you take a, a second to introduce yourself here? Hi, I'm uh, U Street. I've been writing at the Daily Go for now uh, for about a year and a half. I uh, went to the U and since moved out and continue to uh, perhaps uh, solely be a University of Minnesota fan and uh, really enjoy the basketball team despite what has been a frustrating season, I think, all around for coaches, players, and the fan base. Mm-hmm. Um, why, don't, why don't we dive into things right here, and, uh, you know, if, if Chris calls up, we can uh, have him join in. But um, why, don't, why don't you do the, uh, the Reader's Digest version um, for fans who haven't followed Minnesota as much uh, to kind of recap what's happened so far this year? Sure. Well, uh, they're three and seven in conference play, fourteen and nine overall. Uh, they did not play a particularly difficult non-conference schedule, and with the exception of Georgia, lost to every good opponent that was on their non-conference schedule. Most of those games uh, that they lost, which continued in the conference play, uh, were reasonably close, uh, with the exception of Louisville uh, and the Maryland game earlier this season. Otherwise, the Gophers are a very good team at home, a very bad team on the road, and a terrible free-throw shooting team in both. And that has, in many ways, been the cause of several of their losses this year. Uh, If you look at their free-throw shootings, if you look at the four factors, if you take a look at the free-throw per field goal attempts, they either don't get there enough, or when they do, they don't make shots. Particularly frustrating on the one-on-ones. So there has been a lot bandied about on our blog and in the Gopher commenting more generally about the Gophers being an unlucky team because if you look at their expected point differential versus their actual wins, we predict to have more wins. I don't. I think that narrative is true to a degree, but at a larger problem is that they have not put themselves in positions to succeed when they've been in positions to win. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I um I know this was this was kind of a uh, a narrative so to speak um when Minnesota did open Big 10 play, but um you know, outside of outside of that loss against Maryland um which obviously the Terps are a really good team, so that's not that's not really a bad loss so to speak, but all the games were very close um and it seemed like almost in all of them they were in position to win. Um I know you talked about the free throw shooting, but what kind of went wrong to to lose those four games that uh, really they could have easily won all four? Sure. So everything for Minnesota starts on defense. They are still the number one in conference in steal percentage. I think they're top three, top five nationally in overall steal percentage. And they're very good in a transition basketball game. They are historically under Richard Pitino not as good when they're in the half court. So if you want to beat a Minnesota basketball team, if you can avoid turning the ball over, you can slow the pace down to a degree and you can get into a half court game. Or if you're like Maryland, you just have mellow Trimble then you'll be successful against them. In the situations where uh, they've lost a series, in all of those games, what it's come down to is they've been within a couple of possessions at about the under eight. And from the under eight to the end of the game, they haven't been able to execute. In a lot of ways, in these kinds of things, basketball is really simple. If you keep losing games by one or two possessions, what's probably missing is just one individual thing. Most of the time on the road, it's been free throw shooting, but it's also been an inability to get a stop when you absolutely need a stop. Or it is, a, in the Penn State game, for example, a couple of turnovers really late. So it's an execution-based problem more so than a philosophy or a talent problem. The University of Minnesota returned four starters from last year, and so should be in a position where we're talking about where they're going to be in the NCAA tournament, not, oh, I really hope they can get into the NIT. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, and I know you talked a little bit about, um, you know, what what kind of has held them back. Um, and and we talked about this earlier on the podcast uh, with Zach from uh, Inside NU about Northwestern. But um, in these close losses, do you do you think there's a guy who could potentially step up and be that difference maker to edge out that win and really? You know, if they had won these close games, I mean, I, I I agree with you. I think we're talking about an NCAA tournament team here. Um, do you think there's a guy or maybe a couple of guys who can make that difference going forward? Sure. I I think certainly Andre Hollins, uh, who's been having a very good recent stretch of games in, in Big Ten play, is always going to be the number one player you look to to make a big shot. I think that DeAndre Matthew as well is a player who can do that. Nate Mason, the Gophers freshman, has shown that he has the ability to step in late-game situations. However, with that said, I think the bigger problem the Gophers find themselves in is they're putting themselves in position where they need one guy to make a shot really late to win. I don't think that's conducive to success uh, for long periods of time. What I think is a bigger issue is not well we need one we need one play it's we need five and at the two-minute mark, if you're down a possession, that's not just on the offensive side of the ball, that's on the defensive side of the ball. And defense and offense, but defense especially the way the Gophers played is a team defense. And so if one guy gets caught ball watching and lets a backdoor cut happen, get a free layup or a dunk or a wide-open shot somewhere, that's as problematic as if someone can't get a shot on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, um, that, may, that makes sense. Um, and and kind of moving uh, more towards looking ahead here, um, we talked about maybe some guys who can make a difference, but um, I, I know there are uh, they've kind of dug themselves a hole, or they have a lot of work cut out to potentially make an NCAA appearance. But um, what do you think Minnesota has to do um, for the remainder of the season? They do have some uh, some big games at home. Um, some big-time opponents on the road. Um, what do they have to do to kind of make this a successful year um, for Minnesota, for Patino, um, looking ahead? So I would I would say that short of making the NCAA tournament, I think it is fair for everyone around the program to consider this a disappointing season more generally. Looking over the last few games, I would agree with you. I think there are several winnable games on that schedule. I think a success such that it would be would be to get close to 500 in the Big Ten. And right now, that's a bit of an uphill climb. They are more than likely going to lose on the road at Indiana and Wisconsin. will probably lose on the road to Iowa. So the first thing is taking care of business at home, where the Gophers play dramatically better than they play on the road. And so if you can win the vast majority of those three or all four of the remaining home games, that would go a long way. I think more generally what would be helpful is to see the growth of players who are going to be coming back next year. So seeing Nate Mason continue to grow, he had a bit of a freshman role in the early part of the Big Ten Conference season, uh, but has returned to be more successful. Seeing Joey King, Carlos Morris develop more as players. And that is probably all we're going to hope for for success for this specific season. And then hopefully you see some good play in the NIT. You see perhaps more experimentation from a philosophical standpoint. So maybe different kinds of sets in the half court or a different way of running your motion. And on defense, hopefully a little bit more movement to man to man. Uh, right now, the Gophers go zone a 2 3 generally, mostly because they don't have a whole lot of rim protection. And that's something that's not going to be solved this year. It's going to be solved by recruiting. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely an interesting, some interesting thoughts. Um, looking forward, um, kind of um, looking forward even further, uh, so to speak. Um, I asked this to the uh, to Zach, who was on about Northwestern. Uh, I mm-hmm. want to ask you as well, but, um, you know, things have kind of gone rough. Um, you mentioned if they don't make the NCAA tournament, um, generally it should be kind of considered a disappointing year. Um, given that, what what should Minnesota fans be optimistic about right now? 
I think they should be optimistic about the about Nate Mason in terms of on-court play. I think he's been very good. I would be very surprised if he's not on a Big Ten all-freshman team this year. Extremely surprised. I think that they can definitely look forward to the recruiting class that's coming in. Uh, so Jarvis Johnson, who's a Minnesota product, is, depending on which recruiting service you read, or a three- or a four-star, but he's a very good player. Kevin Dorsey out of Maryland is another three-, four-star, also a guard out of Maryland, both of whom are coming come in going to be very successful i believe at the next level they also have uh, some bigger size coming in i think the future development of bakari kanate at the center position who clearly has talent and is someone that the coaching staff really likes richard patino has compared him favorably in terms of development to gorgie jang who's now playing for the timberwolves so the young players is certainly something to be optimistic about i think if you're a gopher fan you're sort of conditioned to expect disappointment to a degree so anything individually that is that is going to be positive so watching Andre Hollins play very well the rest of the Big Ten season has made me as a fan very happy uh, because it's great to watch a kid uh, who has had a lot of adversity in terms of injuries get back on the court and return to where he was as a sophomore and potentially earn himself a professional contract somewhere in Europe because of it so those are those things I think you should be excited about I think also the continued development of Richard Pitino as a coach so one of the possible advantages of going through a tough season, especially for someone who's only in their third year, really, of coaching at a D1 level, especially in terms of the head coach, is to see what happens when people start adjusting to your style. How do you adapt to that, the situations that you find find yourself in? And to a degree, if you can do that in a pressure cooker that is lessened, because you're probably not going to the NCAA tournament, that may be a good thing. And and to talk a little bit about that, um, I'm happy you mentioned that because that was actually my next question. But, um, you know, Patino, a, a very young coach, and not not just young, but also relatively inexperienced um, as a head coach, um, you know, a lot of people perceive Minnesota kind of taking a shot on him, kind of hoping that the upside worked out. Um, you know, we're not, we're not even through year two yet here, but um, – what what is the general perception on Patino? Um, do people view him as a good coach in Minnesota? Um, do they think things are moving in the right direction? Um, and what what's the general thoughts on on Patino and and your general thoughts, I should say? The general thoughts of the Gopher fan base seem to oscillate wildly depending on how well the team was doing. When they won the NIT last year, everyone thought he was going to Louisville. And when he lost three in a row, everyone thought he was in over his head and should be fired. I think the more rational, so the the not the id of the fan base, but the more rational aspect of the fan base views Patino as a young coach. I think your assessment is fair. Certainly, there is a lot of faith in Norwood Teague as an athletic director, uh, not only because of his past pedigree, he is, after all, the man who hired Chaka Smart, but also because of how connected he is with the basketball community more generally, that it was a good hire, but it was definitely a risk. I think Patino has been upfront about that in basically any interview, that he doesn't run away from his father and who his father is. In terms of what I see on the court is I see a man who's very smart. I don't think you become a Big Ten head coach if you're not a good basketball coach. But I do think that there are simply situations he has not yet been in because he hasn't been there at lower levels. And while he's been in them in the sense that he was the assistant to Billy Donovan and Rick Pitino, who are very good mentors, certainly being, uh, as the head coach, walking the floor is very different than sitting in a chair on the bench. So for me, I don't have a problem watching a Richard Pitino coach basketball team. If nothing else, aesthetically, it's way more fun to watch than a Tubby Smith basketball team. But I do agree with the perception that he does have to grow up a little bit. And I don't mean grow up in the sense that he is immature, but rather that there are situations he hasn't seen. By the end of this year, moving into year three, hopefully we'll see some adjustments in the off season to take advantage of the things that he's learned during this one. Not to... Uh... Not to get off topic too much here, but um, Tubby Smith, uh, I, I do want to ask, have you seen a video of the motorcycle uh, ride-in? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have. <laughs> it, was, uh, it 
was uh, in oh, a lot of ways great. showing lots of promise and doing something incredibly and collapsing in spectacular fashion does subscribe the Tubby Smith era at Minnesota quite well. <laughs> I uh, Yeah, I have to mention it. Uh, to everyone listening, if you have not seen that video, watch it because it is hysterical. <laughs> but uh, getting back to things uh, more Minnesota-based right now, um, you know, we, we talked a little bit about uh, the schedule looking ahead, um, kind of what to expect, um, some tough games. Uh, is there a game um, that you would circle right now and say, um, this is the game we have to have, uh, you know, this is the biggest game, most important game uh, for the rest of the season, at least uh, scheduled so far for Minnesota? As um, as a Minnesota fan, that's always going to be Wisconsin, <laughs> and I don't think that's a game we have to have. But Wisconsin, Wisconsin and Iowa are going to be the games that you always circle. In terms of this season, I think that at Indiana will be a really interesting game. This Saturday they play mm-hmm. Purdue. They should beat Purdue. Certainly, if they lose to Purdue at home, uh, I mean, not as if the season wasn't already written off, but you could write it off right now. They barely lost to Purdue on the road, and they lost to because they couldn't make free throws. Uh, Purdue has become much better during the season, but I think that there is certainly a perception that at home the Govers are very tough to beat, which is true generally in the conference. In terms of where the Gophers can get to is – if you look at a good team like Indiana on the road in a tough environment like Assembly Hall, when they haven't been playing particularly well on the road, going against a team that is a very good three-point shooting team. So they will not be able to zone particularly effectively. And that will be interesting to see whether or not the improvements that we've seen over the last two weeks or so on the defensive side of the ball are in fact real or if they're a product of just playing poor competition. So most recently against Nebraska, when you're able to go zone basically the entire game because Nebraska doesn't really have a shooter that are going to hurt you, you can mask a lot of those deficiencies. If you have to play man all game, can you still have the full court press? Can you generate turnovers? Can you do those things? And on the road this year, they've struggled mightily to do so. Mm, And and talking a little bit about, um, I know you mentioned that Wisconsin game. Um, I know last year's game um, was really entertaining um, from an outsider watching. uh, I just thought it was a great game. Um, Do you you think they can knock them off? Um, Obviously, Wisconsin has been playing uh, very well, um, are very likely the best team in the Big Ten. Um, and what do you what do you think would be a a big matchup of that game that they really have to uh, to handle well to pull off that upset? Rationally, no. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, I rationally, Wisconsin's a very good basketball team. I think Wisconsin uh, should certainly be favored by a fair amount in the game at the Kohl Center, and probably should be favored by a decent amount when they come to Minneapolis later. For the Gophers to get a victory against Wisconsin, uh, you first have to get Frank Kaminsky off the floor. As Rutgers proved, Wisconsin is not a very good basketball team when Frank Kaminsky doesn't play. So getting Frank Kaminsky off the floor is number one, and the second aspect to Wisconsin is you have to make them uncomfortable. That's admittedly very difficult. There are very few teams that can do that this year, but in all of their losses, what has occurred is that they're going to play the style they always play. They're going to run the swing. They're going to slow stuff down if they want to. They're going to move and try and get good shots. So, like anything, if you play effective team defense and you don't have to worry about Frank Kaminsky because you've managed to get him in foul trouble, which means that, to your question, the matchup is Mo Walker versus Frank Kaminsky. Last year, Walker got the better of that matchup, and Frank Kaminsky was on the bench with fouls. That was advantageous for Minnesota. Minnesota is not going to beat anyone, certainly not a good team like Wisconsin, if they can't get scores from both inside and outside. Let me let me pose a, a hypothetical um, situation uh, to you. Um, when I, I got a chance to see uh, you know Wisconsin play uh, in Ann Arbor when they faced Michigan, and uh, Michigan was running some interesting sets where they were basically alternating guys like Zach Irvin, um, basically guard wing type players on Kaminsky um, when he was on the perimeter, and they would double him when he come when he would come in. 
do you think Minnesota will be willing to run some type of defense like that, um, something to try to make Kaminsky uncomfortable? Um, or do you think they would just throw Walker at him um, and ho- hope for the best? Yeah, I think they'll throw the kitchen sink at him. I think probably everyone does. <laughs> He's a very good player. I would be skeptical that Minnesota would, given that most of the guards that Minnesota plays are 6-2 in the very, very positive, it's a college media guide 6-2. So I think from a height perspective, they simply can't do something like that, like a Michigan can do with slightly longer guards, certainly. But certainly if they are going to switch. They would probably prefer if Mo Walker didn't have to chase Frank Kaminsky around. Kaminsky's going to have a speed advantage. So I'm sure that when they get into pick-and-roll sets, that instead of doing a hard hedge, the Gophers will probably drop back more like you would see in the NBA level, something like a Roy Hibbert do off the pick-and-roll and force Wisconsin to beat you on the outside. The bigger problem that... Wisconsin presents to anyone is Frank Kaminsky is a very good basketball player and forces you to do (laughs) things on a defensive end that opens up a lot of other very good players Mm -hmm. to get open shots. Yeah, definitely. Um, Kaminsky is obviously a really special player and um, I know Minnesota will have their work cut out, but um, thanks for for joining us. Um, Before you go, do you uh, have any final thoughts on uh, Minnesota or the Big Ten um, that you wanted to get out there? I think it's been a bit of a down year for the Big Ten, but that doesn't stop it from being interesting. Uh, And I am looking forward to the February season. If nothing else is a basketball fan more generally, this is the most interesting time of the year for Big Ten play. As far as Minnesota is concerned, I hope that what they can pull off at home is something that they can start moving to doing so on the road. And I will never get enough of Richard Pitino throwing his jacket. And it was great uh, to be on. Thanks for having me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot for uh for coming on. Um and hopefully we can get you on again. <laughs> and that was uh that was uh one of the guys from over at uh the Daily Gopher, um, which is SB Nation's Minnesota site. Um again as we were talking, Minnesota down, so to speak, um, in conference play. Um, but there are some reasons to be optimistic uh, looking ahead. And really, really, that's kind of the, one of the themes I kind of wanted to have here in this podcast is that although these, these four teams are kind of viewed as the bottom tier, there are reasons to be optimistic. There are reasons to like the team. Um, and especially going into next year, all of them have pieces that you can really point to and say, hey, maybe this will be the guy next year that can get us back. But that's all we have for today. Um, but once again, I'm Thomas Bendit. Um, this is the BT Powerhouse podcast, uh, number 18. You can check us out at btpowerhouse.com. I'm on Twitter at T Bendit, um, Thomas Bendit. But, uh, yeah, I'm off. Can't wait to watch this, uh, Michigan Iowa game. Um, and I guess go blue, but <laughs> sorry to our Iowa listeners, but, uh, it should be a great game and we should be back on next week with another podcast and, uh, looking forward to the games this week. Thanks. Bye.